And I'm going to ask you this question. If you could choose to get one thing free for a month, what would it be? Just a month now. And we're not talking like a year, lifetime supply or anything like that. One thing free for a month, what would it be? So turn to somebody around you. Um, introduce yourself if you don't know them. And it's kind of a softball question. Okay, let's, let's get everybody back together. I hope you guys online, if you're in the chat and want to put your thing that you'd like to get free for a month, um, who knows, maybe you will receive your prayer. Never know that. But, um, so I, I asked this question on Almighty Facebook and got an array of responses. People seem to like this question. You all seem to, to like it as well. And maybe your response fits into one of the categories that was most popular when I asked. And if so, I want you to raise your hand. The most popular response was mortgage. Did anybody say mortgage here? Okay, we have like one, yeah, what's, what's that? Okay, we're coming to the U after service. But um, somebody else said gas, and they designated four vehicles. Four vehicles. Gas for vehicles for a month. Yeah, especially if you got a long commute there. Um, somebody said groceries. Groceries, yeah. Somebody else said all their subscriptions to all their things, all the things. Right? All the things. Um, somebody else said a month of massage. Anybody say massage here? Okay. What, what else did you all say? Uh, go ahead. Plane tickets. Yes. Good. You can book those for like a long time in the future too. Anybody else? Free for a month? What, coffee? What? What? Coffee for? What was, it? what was that in the back? Somebody said. Vacation. Yes, free vacation. Oh, yeah, that would be, that'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? Yeah, what, what was that? A chef. Yes, winner right there. The personal chef. Yes, very, very cool. And the truth is how we like free things, don't we? we? Don't we like free things? I actually ran a free race yesterday. I was like, oh, my gosh, I like run a ra run run things too. I mean, even if that, like, you don't get maybe one of those things for free, but who has gotten free guac or queso at Chipotle for free? Yeah? Or a free chicken sandwich? Has anybody won a free trip ever? Anybody won a free, a free trip or one of, one of those raffle things? Okay, we got a couple winners over here. Um, has anybody ever gotten a free puppy or a kitty? Aw, okay, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, the lengths we will go to to get things for free, right? And maybe, maybe you or someone you know, who, someone who has stood in line maybe for hours or days or even camped out to get things for free. You know, when a new Chick-fil-A opens, you know, the first hundred people will get like a year's supply. And I think there's not a single word that resonates with those of us in like the Western part of the world like the word free. And the thing is, politicians know this, business people know this, salespeople know this. They all know how to use this idea of freedom to attract attention and free things, and free people, and few words are so common, but yet also carry a lot of weight with them. 
So the word interesting enough, uh, free, freedom, is, is also found in scripture and in tr- Christian tradition. If you've done any reading of the Bible, you've probably come across that word over and over. And we quote verses like John 8, 32, where we say, the truth will set you what? Free, right? But it can get us in trouble when we take the New Testament version of freedom And we confuse it with our cultural value of freedom. Because our New Testament, when we look at Scripture, we find in the New Testament the view of freedom is different from and easily confused with our cultural value that goes by the same name. And in the words, the famous words of the princess bride, you keep using that word, I do not think you mean it means what you think it means. Any princess bride fans here? So what is true freedom? What is true freedom in Christ? Is it having choices? Is it free will? Is it a lack of coercion and constraint? What is true freedom in Christ? Is it doing what you want to do? What is true freedom? Well, today we're going to look at Paul's letter to the Galatians. And um, if you didn't know, uh, Galatia is, a, is in modern-day kind of south-central Turkey. And uh, during the time that, that the Apostle Paul was writing to this, this church at the time, it was under the reign of the Roman Emperor Claudius, who was a pagan. And, and in that context, in this country and, and this kind of setting here, you have a mix of people religiously. You have a lot of people that are participating in pagan worship and kind of doing what they want. And then you have kind of this small contingent of Jewish people. There was a very small synagogue there. And so the Apostle Paul, he enters into this place and he begins to build a community of people around the good news of Jesus. That he shares the good news of Jesus with these people. And it's a mix of people. It's a mix from the pagans and the Jews, these people that are coming to faith to say, oh my gosh, I believe in this Jesus that you're telling me about. And then guess what Paul does? He leaves. He leaves. He says, bye-bye, I'm going to the next place. You all like do your church thing together. And, and so the Galatian church at that time was comprised of both people with a Jewish background and what we say like a Gentile background, non-Jewish. And then what happens is other people come and start saying things about Paul, but also saying things about that he has no idea about what he was teaching these people. They were saying that he has no idea what he was talking about. And they started to create confusion about what kind of background did you need to be to be a true follower of Jesus? What are the things that you have to do and not do? And, and even so, how Jewish do you have to become? Like, is that like the first step to become a believer in Jesus? And, and so there was all this confusion at the time. And so that prompted Paul to address that confusion in a letter. That he confronts that confusion by basically making this, what's known as a declaration of freedom in Christ in the letter to the Galatians. And he talks about how it's a gift that is given by God to the church to live out our faith. And so Paul starts off in Galatians. We're going to look at Galatians 5 today. And this is printed in your notes in your worship guide. Um, those of you guys online, I think we don't have that this week, but we can get that to you. But you can just follow along here. We'll have, that up, have the verses up on the screen. But Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, for freedom, for freedom Christ has set us 
free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember, he's confronting this kind of confusion around what it takes to be a follower of Christ. But for freedom, Christ has set us free. Well, I want to just camp out here for a minute. This word freedom that we see in this passage, but also throughout Scripture. We see that in the New Testament is written in the language of Greek, and we have it translated to English. And there's a lot of words in Greek, more words than we have in English, and so we have to, like, use something that's similar. But the word that we translate freedom is this little Greek word eleutheria. Eleutheria, that's the noun form of it. There's also to be free as an adjective, but it's a, that's the noun form. And eleutheria, get this, it describes a collective dependent condition. Collective dependent, meaning that it is impossible to exist in a private state. Interesting. It's not a private state. That the only way for freedom to exist is together. Together. And it's interesting that this very same word is also a word that can be translated peopleness or peoplehood. What it means to be, not personhood, but peoplehood. To be a sense of a people together. It describes the quality of being a unified and living collective group of people. And what's interesting is that if you page through the New Testament scriptures, you'd never, ever see the words personal and freedom together. Does not exist. There's no such thing as personal freedom that Paul talks about. And the thing is, when he's addressing freedom, even in this passage that we're going to unpack here, it's always in the plural. That whenever you see the word you, it's not like, like you, Ben, or you, Jen, or you, Bob, or, 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 or you, Nate. It's always plural. So read it, you can put your vernacular in there. If you're from like Philly, you say what? Use guys, right? Or, or if you're from the South, you say y'all, right? Or if you're from Pittsburgh, you say yins, right? So, so take out you and put use guys, put y'all, put yins in there. That's who he's talking to. He's talking to the collective. So freedom, it's eleutheria, is about y'all. It's about us. There's a sense of togetherness and community, that it's not a private state of affairs, but it's a unified sense of being. So Paul goes, goes on, and starting in verse 2, he says, Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, so this is what he's talking about, a little debate about the whole Jewish thing, he says Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Through, for through the Spirit we eagerly, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Love. Love. He's, he's talking about freedom in Christ here. What does this look like? It starts off with the freedom from. 
a freedom from. And first, from the claims of the Jewish law. That's where this idea of circumcision comes in. So in verse 2, Paul is saying in essence, he's saying, like, listen guys, it's me. Like, I know you. Like, he was kind of the founding pastor of that church. He says, I'm going to shoot straight with you. The religious practices of the Jewish people, like circumcision, it's not wrong in and of itself by any means. But going by it, you're kind of saying like, okay, just in case like this whole thing is invalid, like I'm going to try to like make sure that I'm okay with God, so I'm going to kind of check off those boxes too. And he's saying like, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You, you are made free in Christ. That those, those rules from before were for that time, but right now there's a difference here. Don't be a slave to the rules. So I'm going to ask you, have, have you ever been part of a church or religion that worshipped the rules and practices but forgot the point? It's very easy to do. It comes out with a good idea. Like, I don't think these people were malicious by any means, saying you got to get circumcised. Like, they're just thinking through process here, right? That should be step one and then kind of step two. But it's kind of like the whole roast pan syndrome. And what I mean by that is there's this old story, you've probably heard it before, about this lady that in her family they would take a roast before they, before they like cook it and stuff, and they would cut off like the ends of the roast and then put it in the pan and then put it in the oven and then when it would come up. And, and so they would do that time and time again, generation after generation. And finally, somebody asked the question, why are you cutting off the ends of the roast? Nobody seemed to know. There was not really a legit reason. The ends were just as good as the rest. But then somebody did some homework and they found out that the great, 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 great grandmother that first had that recipe for that roast, she only had a pan that was this big and the roast was that big. They'd forgotten the reason why. They'd forgotten the point. And we get into kind of roast pan syndrome very easily too. We get into practices and things and we start worshiping those rules and we forget about the point that's behind them. But then there's a second point, a second warning in verse 3 where, where he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. He's saying basically, now that Christ has come, the system's been upgraded, guys. The system's been upgraded. There's no more sacrifices. The, these things, practices you have participated in uh, before, you don't have to do. And he's saying, like, if you can't do the old covenant law perfectly, nobody can do the old covenant law perfectly. But he also is kind of alluding to the fact that, for that matter, you can't do the new covenant commands either. But that's the point. That's the point of Jesus, is this idea of grace. Not the things that we're doing and whether we check five boxes off or four or we get all those things right. You can't keep all those things either. It's about the love and the grace that we've accepted from Christ. And that's why before we celebrate the table each week, before we celebrate communion here at Table Life Church, we do kind of a confession at together as a church to say that we have it measured up. You and I, myself, like none of us have been perfect this week. We've messed up, we've failed, we've tried on our, on our behalf, but, but that's why we have to be able to confess but then receive that grace. We recognize we can't do it alone that we're in need of God's grace, and we're in need of his help, too. That's the underlying issue here, that first we're freedom, it's freedom from, but first that kind of claims of the law. But the second part here is he talks about that we're also free from our pagan past, from sin, from sin. The past doesn't define you. 
Your past does not define you. you may, it may influence where you are. You, God may use it for certain purposes. It may bring you to a certain point or location, but it does not define you. But what does count? What does count is, is what you do with your freedom. What you do with your freedom. Faith expressing itself through love is what he's emphasizing here. That, that you're not no longer a slave to the things that you've been a part of in the past. You can still choose to do them. But when we've submitted to Christ, where there's a story of, um, if anybody's ever, there's, if you visit uh, Oxford University, you'll see that there's this very prominent library that's kind of at the center of campus. And um, it's called the Radcliffe Camera. Well, and, and, but it's really just a library. And it's always been known over the, the, the decades for its well-kept grass. I don't know if we have any grassaholics here. Like your grass has to be like perfectly like straight. You edge it all the time, right? Well, that's kind of like the people that were in charge of the Radcliffe camera property. And, and so the property used to, in the early 1900s, it used to have this huge um, railing that went around the property and to keep people off the grass. But it kind of uh, kept you out from seeing the structure. If you were on the ground, then you're trying to look up and maybe like take pictures or draw or do a painting. You had a hard time seeing the beautiful part of this library. Well, in World War II, they had to take down that high railing because it was made of metal and they had to melt that for the war and use it. And so for a while, there were no railings around that grass. In the 50s and 60s, there were small notices that were kind of posted around the property telling people, please don't walk on the grass. And for the most part, people followed that. Well, then came the 70s and the 80s. All you 70s and 80s babies, right? The grass became a very popular picnic spot. People would have parties on the grass. People would hang out on the grass. The people in the library would complain day in and day out about the noise of the people outside having their little parties on the grass. And what happened was the grass got worn out, stomped on, looked very, very messy. And so at the end of the 80s, new railings went up to protect the grass. Why do I tell you this? Well, I think it's a story of the use and abuse of freedom. In one sense, people were free to walk on the grass and even ruin the grass around the beautiful building, but that didn't mean that they should do it. And it ruined it for everybody, for everybody. It's just like a freed prisoner, someone who gets out of prison is kind of presented with that question in their minds, will I use this newfound freedom to commit more crimes? What will I do with this freedom? Am I going to go back to what I was and what we were doing before and the reason why? See, there is a sense of freedom from restraint, but freedom from restraint must also be matched by freedom for. You have to, in order to, if you have start out with the freedom from restraint, you also need to have freedom for a purpose or else it is no good. And so Paul says this, he continues in verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another. Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Freedom from needs to have a freedom for, or else there's no direction, there's no purpose. And for Paul, freedom was more than a call for for something else. It was a means of coming at something together with one another. I mean, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, each other. It's all about the other. And, And get this, guys, like, you can't one another without one another. You can't love one another without another. It doesn't work, right? It doesn't work. Uh, There's an author, Mark Douglas, he describes it kind of like this. He says, the idea that freedom means the absence of encumbrances may be popular, but it doesn't hold weight. Freedom is not the absence of entanglements. Entanglements are the means by which freedom becomes meaningful. Freedom is not separation from relationships. It's a feature of relationships that becomes especially apparent as a result of our relationships with Jesus Christ. It's first for one another, for one another. That one another is that unity in the community of the church. And and so at this time, there were controversies in Galatia, these kind of decisions that had to be made about what to do, what not to do. There were alternate views of, of what it meant to be the church and be a follower of Jesus. And it led to very, very serious disturbances with the church, in the church, And that's why Paul is using those words. He says, if you bite and devour each other, like there's probably some pretty bad things going on at that time, right? And think about it. They didn't even have Facebook at that time. Kind of crazy, right? Bite and devour. But yet Paul uses this word agape to say love. To say love. If if you bite and devour another, watch out. But love, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. It's the highest form of love. He's calling us to a higher place not a lower place, not a means of tolerance, but of love. And I think Paul chose that word intentionally. Not to tell people, well, just call each other and say you're sorry and play nice. He's saying be part of this kingdom that's higher, that's on the higher level, that's taking the higher road than those around you. He's saying those of you in the church, guess what, guys? You're held to a higher standard a higher standard than what the world is telling you, than the rest of the people in Galatia. And he's saying this, your squabbling shows you're still enslaved. Your squabbling shows you're enslaved, and worse, what happens when there's division among you causes destruction. It destroys the body. And I'm sure that there was fear at the time. It was a little church community. You know, there was a, it was, this was a smaller group of people. There was fear that the whole thing could have fallen apart at that time. And not only that, but that at that time, imagine the church was growing because people were seeing that love one another, but now they're seeing the not love one another. People are watching. People are watching the church and to see what is this? What makes them different than the rest of us? I don't know if we have any uh, folks here that know Vincent Van Gogh. He was a famous, famous artist. There were several exhibits that kind of went around the country that you could go see interactively in the last uh, year or two years. And um, if you don't know who Vincent Van Gogh is, don't worry about it, but you probably have seen some of his paintings. And one of the most famous ones is this, The Starry Night. And a little bit of Van Gogh's story, he, at the end of the 1800s, 19th century, um, Vincent Van Gogh, a brilliant artist, like thousands and thousands of paintings, but he also um, had mental illness. And, um, and he, he died of his mental illness. And so there were years that he was kind of in and out of asylums. 
And would you believe it that he painted this most famous painting while he was sitting on the side of his bed looking out the window from the asylum at the time. And it's called Starry Night. And um, it's painted in 1889 from his room in that asylum. That was how they dealt with mental illness at the time, which was very, very sad. But, um, but he was in that room and looking out, and he painted this. It was kind of an imaginary town. And all these things were not necessarily what exactly he saw at his window. But it's very interesting that in this picture, the only place, if you look at the town, the only place without light is what? The church. The church. Think about that. The only place he saw without light was the church. He, as someone who was wrestling and suffering, saw the church as the dimmest place in the world. And he himself, he had come from, he had actually started to go to school to be a pastor, believe it or not, in his youth and um, decide that wasn't for him. But isn't it interesting, the only place that he painted was the church without a sense of light in it. How many people look at the church in the same way today? The only place without a sense of light, without a sense of love. And the reason why? Because people are watching People are watching us, how we interact with one another, whether in person or online or, or through conversations. People are watching. Do we want to be the reason why people in their mind paint a painting of the church as the only place without light? It's being freedom for, that there would be unity among one another, but that also carries over to our neighbor too. That we look at people that say, I don't really care about faith, I don't care about Jesus, I don't care about God. Like, but what about our, our neighbor, regardless of what they believe? And so Paul, in that, he quotes one of the early central Christian commandments that was connected to the Old Testament, but also something that Jesus said in Luke 10. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. It doesn't matter what they said or what they believe or what their stance on this latest Supreme Court decision is. Love your neighbor. Ooh, Right? Ugh, that's, that's really hard to do, Paul. Like, I don't really like that. I like people that only like are around me. He's saying, no, love your neighbor that doesn't believe like you. Jesus even tells that whole story about the Samaritan, right? They're on the wrong side of the, the tracks. They believe the wrong things, and yet he's acting more neighborly than the rest of the Jewish people at the time. Like, like what's with that? There's a sense of loving your neighbor as yourself that you are free for your neighbor as well. Not just the people that believe like you, talk like you, worship like you, but there's more. There's more. It's freedom from, freedom for, but then the third part that, that Paul is alluding to here is it's freedom that comes with. There's a freedom with. That we don't do this by ourselves, folks. Because if you're like, hey, you know what? I just can't, like, I just can't, right? I just can't. Well, guess what? You don't do it by yourself. It's with the power of the Spirit. And he says this, he says in verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the what? Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I'm going to rip her eyes out. I want to tear him apart. Walk by the Spirit, <laughs> right? For the flesh deserves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Led by the Spirit. We're with the Spirit. That means that we need to be free to let God direct our lives. 
That, that when he's describing flesh and spirit here, by the way, is, it's not about like this material world and our bodies and everything being like totally bad and that we just want to abandon ship and float up to heaven. He, he's not saying that at all. He's talking about this kind of inner motivation, that there's this inner motivation in our being and there's a conflict with the spirit, with what God wants for us. That it's actually a good thing when you feel that conviction, when there's that little tap that's like, mm, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe, uh, okay, well, like, pay attention to that tension. Because sin, remember what he said before, sin becomes a choice. He says here, don't do whatever you want here. That you have the spirit who is guiding and directing you. We, don't, we have freedom with the spirit. We're not alone in this. But also, freedom comes with responsibility. Freedom comes responsibility. There's a famous quote, with great power comes great responsibility. Whoever you attribute it to, whether it was a first century, century BC saying or Spider-Man, right? <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility. And Paul says this, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, right? You kind of see yourself at some point connecting there. But what's interesting is that each thing that he's mentioning, each sin he mentions, destroys relationships. Each one, when you look at them again, put that back on the screen, Nate. Each sin that's listed here in this scripture, each one destroys relationships. Each one, none of them ever help relationships, let me just say that. If you give freedom and you also don't accompany it with responsibility, things go horribly wrong. I mean, think, has anyone ever, think back to when you were a teenager, teenagers, you don't have to answer this, but did you ever get your car keys taken away, right? I don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand, right? Why? They removed your freedom to drive because you were, what, irresponsible. You didn't take the responsibility seriously. Things got out of hand. Have you ever had your door removed from your bedroom, right? I've got a hand in the back. Oh, never mind. Anyway. You ever have your door removed from your bedroom? You lost freedom to privacy because you were not responsible, right? Freedom requires responsibility. That goes for our freedoms as, as Christians. It protects it. Responsibility protects the freedom. And you know what the fruit of that is? When we are holding that responsible, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But since we live by the Spirit, let us, I love this, keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe for you it's just like, let me keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. See, Christian freedom is fruitful. You can tell whether something is good or bad by its fruit. It's freedom together. Together. Not to move us to protect our rights, our guard, our little packages of liberty, but that we're free. Believe it or not, we're free to not exercise a personal right 
at times for the sake of loving another. But how do we do that, guys? Like, what, so what, just drawing this together, like, what, what does this mean? How do we, like, I apply this? Like, okay, I'm freedom for everybody, but not, like, you know, it's not just about me and loving one another. Well, I think it's about leveraging our freedom. And in your notes, there's kind of a list here. This is, I'm just going to put this up on the screen quickly. I think this all boils down to do what's just, not what you can justify. Think about that. If you did what was just, not just what you can make reasons up for, do what's responsible, not what's permissible. You know, if we're not willing to take responsibility for a potential outcome, then maybe we shouldn't do it. You know, when you're ready to say, like, I'm free to do that, you know, substitute, say, I'm, I'm responsible for that. You know, do what's right, not what's modeled, because you can get a lot, there's a lot of different models of a lot of ways of taking things. Um, anybody remember Jane Fonda video, VHS videos? Yeah, good, good, good stuff. Well, I had a friend who had um, her her parents really enjoyed like doing those VHS workout tapes when she was a kid, and um, they she would hear it in another room and like you know oh hand over here whatever they do and that kind of thing. And um, she she would hear them doing that. And the one time like she was needed to like walk through the den where her mom and and dad were doing this video, and she's wa- ready to walk through and she sees them on the couch eating bowls of ice cream while watching the Jane Fonda workout video, right? Right? Scarred for life. Scarred for life. You know, do what's right, not what's modeled. She's like, that was just bad, like all around, just, just, just really, really bad. But what if we did what's right, not just what we see other people doing? And, and you know, as, as human beings, when we see somebody else doing something, it kind of gives us a, oh, well, maybe I'm okay, maybe that's, that's good. But what if we did what was right, not what's modeled? And then the last piece, do what's grace-filled, not what's deserved. What if we looked at grace first and say, yeah, this person deserves this, and, and I could give it to them. But what if we looked at grace as the first part rather than the last? Because in all, I think what Paul is getting to in this, this Eleutheria kind of freedom, freedom is from, and it's also for and with. From, for, and with. And you can't have one without the other. It's not about you, but it's about y'all, yins, yous guys, all of us together. And at the very heart of the Christian gospel is the strange truth that real freedom is ironically found in giving up the things often that the world touts as freedom. Freedom we usually hear proclaims personal free will, but freedom in Christ calls us to more, to more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today as a people in need of your grace, Lord. That we've heard of your message of freedom, Lord, and we desire it. We want it. In so many ways that, that, Lord, we look around at the world and we see so so many people touting means of freedom and ideas of freedom, Lord. But, Lord, we desire to look to you, Lord. Lord, help us to be as Paul has called us. Help us to know that we are no longer bound to sin. We're no longer bound to the chains of the past. We have a new identity. But Lord, help us to live that out in the, the idea of being, having freedom for one another. Having freedom for others. To look at ourselves not as the first priority, but we can look at how to, to serve one another. How to best show that love to a world that desperately needs it, Lord. But even more so to know that we don't do it alone. 
That even when that, those desires of our flesh, of our, of our hearts, really just want to, to act in ways that we know that that does not glorify you, Lord, help us to pause, to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord, and to allow you to guide our steps, Lord, as we know that you are walking with us, Lord. And that as we approach this table, Lord, once again, we realize that we don't always do it right. Maybe in the last 15 minutes, the 15 days, 15 years, we know that we have messed up. And Lord, we are in need of your grace, Lord. That today, just as we've sung, like today is literally the first day of the rest of our lives, Lord. And we can choose that. We can choose to walk with you in these moments, Lord. And we can choose to confess the ways that we have not measured up, Lord. But in the midst of that, to know we're loved. That we receive your grace. That you're not a, a God who sits in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike us down, Lord. But you are a God who has open arms. As Jesus describes, a father who runs towards us with open arms and tears streaming to say, My daughter, my son, my beloved, I love you. And we receive your grace. We receive your grace with our own outstretched arms, Lord. And Lord, help us to follow Jesus in our walk, in our ways, in our weeks. To know that we don't walk alone, Lord, and that you are guiding us, Lord. And Lord, and, and just as you taught your disciples to pray a prayer, so we join together today in the Lord's Prayer. And we say these words as a community. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so at this time,